Welcome to the Square Apple Show. Hi, I'm Dr. Yong Xin Ling. I'm the co-founder of Change Voyage Consulting. After 20 years of corporate life, I successfully transited to be an entrepreneur. Wearing multiple hats as an entrepreneur, adjunct lecturer, mother, wife, daughter, sister, has taught me how to navigate life's challenges. And my secret is the Square Apple. In this show, I will discuss tips and strategies to change the way you think about your personal and professional life. Because if you change the way you look at things, the things you look at will change. Ready to activate the square apple in you? Let's begin! Hi, I'm Shin Ning and welcome to the Square Apple Show. Today, I want to share with you my reflections about learning from failures, which I had my fair share. If you are an entrepreneur, business owner, or anyone who is figuring out to make sense, how to make sense of a failure or setback that has happened to you, this podcast is for you. The other day, I was chatting with a fellow colleague in the university on the factors that drive success in startups. The one word he said stumped me. Failure. He said that the higher the number of failures, the higher the chances of success. This seemed to me very paradoxical, which is the kind of stuff that I like to ponder upon as part of my square apple personality. It sounds really sexy, but is it backed by research? You know, these days, it's very easy to fact-check claims, so I went on to Google, does failure lead to success for entrepreneurs? After reading through a few articles, I chanced upon this article from Harvard Business Review on why serial entrepreneurs don't learn from failure. Essentially, this article is based on a research done on 576 UK-based entrepreneurs. What they found is that serial entrepreneurs don't learn from mistakes. In fact, they are just apt to be over-optimistic after failure as before. And why is this so? According to the article, it is because these serial entrepreneurs feel so much pain of failing that in order to self-protect, they attribute the failure to others or external events. This is so that they can maintain some semblance of self-esteem. So the key point here is not about failure, but about the ability to learn from the failure. You want to learn how to do better so as to avoid the same mistake the next time. But in reality, this is not so straightforward. According to Annie Duke, author of Thinking in Bets, Making Smarter Decisions When You Don't Have All the Facts, the quality of our lives is the sum total of decision quality and luck. When something goes right, it doesn't mean that our decision was right. It may be that we were lucky. And likewise, if something went wrong, it doesn't mean that our decision was wrong. It may just be that we were unlucky. So this is confusing. Moreover, research also shows that people tend to fall victim to self-serving bias. This means that we tend to attribute positive events to our character, but attribute negative events to external factors. So, how do we learn? So, firstly, be aware and avoid self-serving bias, or at least try. I recall our company's most spectacular setback to date. About two years ago, Stacy and I bidded for a project that we think is going to propel our company into the next stage of growth. We worked very, very hard for it. 
I still remembered that it was over Christmas and Stacy had already booked a skiing trip to Japan. But she and I worked every day and connected via WhatsApp call while she was there. Even now, as I recall this, I still remember how the cafe looked like in our video calls. It was a big project for us and we believe we are going to need to hire another two more full-timers. The client loved us and we heard we are in a good position. We were also very confident of our solution. We really, really thought it was going to be our big break. But no, we didn't get the deal. We don't know for sure what happened, but we suspect that there were senior stakeholders who may be concerned that we were not big names like our competitors. Their eventual choice reinforced our belief and made us feel like we were not in control nor responsible for how people choose to look at us. We comforted ourselves by telling us that it's the loss of the client if they didn't know how to appreciate us. And we thought so for a very long time. So now you see, it's the self-serving bias that's playing out here. Even though we were in a sense blaming the client, but deep inside us, we were seeking for something that we could do better. About a year later, we spoke about this episode to a veteran business leader and she gave us her perspectives about what we could have done to manage the client's perception of our company and our brand. It was something that was definitely within our means to change. We also learned about how to position our capabilities better to our target customers. So we definitely can relate to what the study said about people are attributing pain to external causes so that they can maintain some form of self-esteem. Nevertheless, it's very important to objectively to reflect and critically seek for ways to improve our skills. The second is that awareness that outcome is not everything. I go back to the same book that I mentioned just now and I would like to give some background about the author Annie. So Annie Duke is a former poker champion and she shares this story about Phil Ivey who according to her is also the world's best poker player. Phil Ivey had won a final game in a poker tournament and the win was half a million dollars and it was won over a lengthy poker tournament. After the tournament, Phil went for dinner with Annie's brother, another world-class poker player who had earlier provided commentary for that game. And guess what they spoke about at dinner? Instead of talking about how great he is, he spent the time to analyse every potential playing error he thought he might have made on the way to victory and ask for the opinion of a fellow professional. I'm not a poker player nor have any interest in the game, but the story is just mind-blowing for me. Usually people would be more interested to understand the cause of failure, but Phil set the gold standard of trying to improve on his skills even when he won. There's another story that I would like to share. I was teaching a group of entrepreneurs about business model canvas and of course, explaining the beauty and benefits of the model. And I distinctly remember one participant asking, Excuse me, my friend runs a very successful business, but I don't think he knows about business model canvas. So is knowledge of this really important? My colleague took the question, which I thought was a great answer. He said that whether it's business model canvas or not, he should know why he has succeeded so that he can replicate it again. 
Because if you succeed and you don't know why, then you cannot replicate it. I thought it's great because conventional wisdom focuses on the outcome. But in reality, outcome is subject to factors that we can't fully control and therefore is not a full reflection of our skills. We should be more concerned about how we can learn and refine what is within our control. Last but not least, it's having mentors and advisors. I think the most important way to learn, I think, is through people whom you can rely to give you honest and maybe brutal feedback. And you know these people mean the best for you. Anitude calls this the truth-seeking group. And in her story, she has a learning pod comprising of world-class players whom she engages with to give her feedback, advice, and then hold her accountable to practice what she's supposed to do. I personally think this is really difficult because firstly, you need to have people who understands what you are doing and therefore in the position to give meaningful advice. Secondly, it must be someone whom you respect enough to hear the advice from and won't get offended. It gets harder when you're older and probably higher in the hierarchy and it's very difficult to own up to your vulnerabilities. You may feel very embarrassed and think it's a loss of face when people point out your mistakes. I'm very fortunate to have a few friends and mentors in Janisha and James that I seek out to give me honest feedback about what I'm doing, especially with respect to my business. The truth often hurts, especially when you feel that you have already tried your best and your truth-tellers tell you that you are still not good enough. But without a mirror, how can you tell whether you are in shape or not? So today, we looked at how to learn from past setbacks. Firstly, we should try to avoid self-serving bias, which is attributing blame to others when the outcome is negative and crediting yourself when the outcome is good. Secondly, be aware that outcome doesn't mean everything because outcomes are a result of luck, which you have no control over. So focus on understanding what you can do to improve your outcomes in those areas where you have control over. Lastly, find truth-tellers who can give you advice and keep you honest. I hope you have enjoyed today's show and hopefully have a little bit of clarity on how to make sense of your recent setback. If you have any questions or thoughts on this episode, please connect with me on LinkedIn at bit.ly slash squareapple. That's bit.ly forward slash S-Q-U-A-R-E-A-P-P-L-E. Thank you and see you soon. Thank you for joining me today. I'm very honoured to have you here. If you would like to keep going and want to know more about the number one Southeast Asia's leading female entrepreneurship network, head over to Soul Rich Woman at S-O-U-L-R-I-C-H-W-O-M-A-N.com and download the free ebook on how to get clients and multiply your income through personal branding. Remember, if you change the way you look at things, the things you look at will change. Do subscribe to The Square Apple Show and I look forward to seeing you in the next episode. Bye for now.